This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. All right, guys, I, I purposely chose a rather controversial title just to sort of stir you up. Uh, I, I am not going to, uh, as the title would pres- you know, suppose, I'm not going to try and tell you if you're supposed to, which candidate you're supposed to vote for uh, this fall, even though I wouldn't doubt that you might land uh, somewhere uh, as I... Uh, show you this, but where you land might be different than where you'd expect. Uh, you're, you're thinking I'm talking about Democrat-Republican. I'm not. Uh, I'm talking about something far bigger. I'm frying bigger fish, guys. Uh, you see, the Church of Jesus Christ is about something far greater than an election in November. And if we don't get things correct in the Church of Jesus Christ, it really doesn't matter who wins in November. We have to be grounded and built properly as the church to take advantage of the window of time whichever way it goes. For instance, if persecution breaks out in an increased measure because of what takes place in November, the question would be, are we ready for it? Because that is an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. Because everyone feels extremely vulnerable and it separates wheat from chaff. It is the opportunity for true Christianity to shine In the midst of persecution, Christianity is seen more clearly than at any other time in history. Are we ready is the question. The second one, if there is a window of time for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread more aggressively and boldly without persecution, what a privilege that would be. The question is, are we ready to do that? Are we poised and in a sprinter's position to take advantage? And all of that has to do with where we land as far as governmentally in our own souls. And that's what this message is about, which is why you see me hinting at the governmental issues that we're facing in the natural realm, because we're facing governmental issues in the spiritual realm. And if we don't get those squared away, it really doesn't matter what happens in the natural realm. There's just certain conclusions that are more comfortable for us than others. And yet the state of the church is not going to be healthy and it will not change the world in which we live. So how to vote this November. So this is in a series uh, that just started last Sunday. It's called The Shadow Nation Rises, where we're actually going through, even though this sounds dull, it's very exciting, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, the word deutero uh, means second. Uh, Nomo uh, means law. So technically, uh, in the Latin, the, the, uh, the word Deuteronomy would be second law. What does that mean? How do, but that comes from what many scholars would say is an incorrect uh, understanding of what the book should be called, but I really like it. And so as a result, instead of throwing it out, I'm going to say, okay, even if it was a mistake, and when they did the Latin Vulgate, they're like, oops, 
Uh, it's sort of like if you ever uh, saw those old Reese's peanut butter cups commercials where you have two people, one has peanut butter and the other has chocolate, and they run into each other, and then it blends together, and they're like, oh, this is even better. That's the way I feel about the name Deuteronomy. This is brilliant. Even if it was accidental, nothing is accidental in the kingdom of God. Come on, guys. This is about seconds, and so we have the second law. That's because it was rehearsal. Moses is going through the law a second time, but he's speaking it to a second generation who is about to cross a second body of water into a second territory to follow a second leader. Oh, we got seconds everywhere. That's right. And the kingdom of heaven is built on this principle of firsts and seconds. And so as a result, the book of Deuteronomy is this incredible picture of seconds, which then is a, an incredible picture of the kingdom of heaven, the world in which we live today, which we would understand it as the church of Jesus Christ. So I, I, had, a, I had multiple different names uh, for this. One of them was uh, the second shoulders which I thought was too vague, even though it is pretty cool, if you knew what it, it was. I had the ready shoulders. I had the able shoulders. But then I spelled, instead of able, I spelled A-B-L-E. I spelled it A-B-E-L. And I was being very creative, and I laughed at myself and how brilliant that was. And then I thought, that's, gonna, that's not going to make any sense to anyone. Uh, so, I mean, it would, but I'd have to explain it. You know, it's not like you're just going to catch and go, oh, I see what he's saying. No, it would be, it's like one of my dad's uh, jokes. He had, uh, we call them dad jokes, where he would tell a joke, but it was a little more complex than the, uh, the young child mind could understand. And he would laugh at his, his joke, and all of us would be like, what is he talking about? And then my dad, he decided at a certain point he was never going to explain his jokes because then that took the fun out of the joke. You either get it or you don't. And so uh, I didn't want to crack a dad joke uh, up here. So uh, Deuteronomy, you know, it, it means a second law, but I want you to sort of recognize it's a book about seconds. So it's a second book. Almost every single thing in Deuteronomy has already been said. But it's going to be said again. It's a rehearsal, but it's at a very different time. You have a 40-year period. At the beginning of the 40 years, you're going to get this. And then at the end of the 40 years, you're going to get this. Why? Because it's a new generation. It's a second generation that is hearing something, and they're going to hear it very different. There's a different orientation to this. And so it's this incredible picture, a second book, a shadow book. That's one of the ideas I came, uh, I said last week is the shadow scriptures was the name of last week's message, that these scriptures are actually speaking of something, but they're a shadow of something to come. And almost everything in Deuteronomy is something that is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in the church of Jesus and so a book of shadow seconds. So we have a second invite. And they were already invited into the land of promise. And what do they do? They basically rejected it because of their fear and unbelief. They're going to rot in the wilderness. So now we have a second invite. Hey, guys, you ready to go in? You ready to take the land? To a second generation. The entire first generation has been wiped out at this time except for Joshua and Caleb. And as a result, this is a second invite to a second generation to cross a second water obstacle, not the Red Sea, the Jordan River. Isn't that interesting? There's a second water obstacle, just like baptism. 
You're going to have like baptism of repentance. You're going to have a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have this second in the New Testament as well, into a second territory in order to live a second life under a second leader. And so we talked about last week that Moses being a first leader and the second leader over the second generation, over the seconds, is Joshua. His name in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which ironically is the exact same name that Jesus received from his parents. This is literally what he was named. He was named Joshua, if you want to say it that way. That's not how it translates to us. In the Greek, it comes out as Isus, and we translate it into the English language as Jesus. And, but it's the exact same name. And so what you have is Jehovah saves. It's Jehovah, the I am, name of God, blended with a verb. He saves. And that's the second leader. So God's passion for the second. I, I don't know if you guys remember last week, if I need to rekindle some of the thoughts to it. It's, it'd be a worthy listen if you missed it. But you start out in the very beginning with Cain and Abel. And Cain is going to offer you know, his, his, uh, his fruit from the field, his labors in the field, and God's not going to be pleased with his offering. Abel is going to offer a, uh, the best of his flock. He's a shepherd. And the second is a shepherd of all things. And God is going to receive Abel's offering. He's going to be pleased with the second. And most of us are just like, hey, what was wrong with Cain's offering? It's sort of offensive to us. I don't know if it's offensive because we're used to offering our Cain offering as well. The offerings of our first, that's the, in, in Scripture you're going to see a first and a second always, just like the Bible's broken up into a first and a second, and you have the law in, in the Old Testament, and the law, though it is good, cannot save you. Though it speaks truth and it is right, it cannot offer you salvation. It is a road sign, it is, it is a tutor which is teaching you your need of a Savior, your need of a second. So you have Adam, Jesus. Jesus is called the second man of all things. And so you're going to have a first life, and you must be born again. You must become a second to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You must put off Adam, the first, and you must put on Christ, the second. You must be clothed in the garments of salvation. And so God obviously has a passion for the second. So I had uh, a guy after last week's message uh, texted me and he says, so God created the man first and the woman second. And then he had a smiley face that didn't translate very well uh, and, and then laugh out loud. And so, and I got back and I said, yeah, and something about how uh, beautiful and precious that second is. Uh, however, what I would say is that if you look at the issue of, well, I'll just read you the scripture. In Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable, comparable to him. So what you see is you see a first condition, which is aloneness, and then you see God solving that with a second state of man, which is relationship, which is superior. In other words, it's not that Adam wasn't created good. He was good, very good. That, that, but there's something that is even better. The law is very similar. It's good. The law is good. But there's something even better, and that's grace. And so you're going to see this improvement on even what is good. Because Adam wasn't like some faulty character at this time. He was the perfect creation of God, and yet it was not good that he was alone. And so the second condition of Adam, which is one that is married, one that is in relationship, which is where I would put the emphasis, uh, is, is better than being alone. 
So we're going to go through in this one. This, this message is on uh, the second government, basically, that is going to be displayed and unveiled in and through the book of Deuteronomy. And that's going to be a key idea throughout the rest of the book because what we have, the idea of government for many of us is, is just uncomfortable and bulky. Like we don't really want to deal with it because, you know, it just sounds political. But government in and of itself is just God's. It's the order of things. It's how uh, God uh, issues his authority and how that authority is distributed. Like in my body, there needs to be government. So as strange as that is, if there's no government in my body, that means the devil and the flesh will do whatever they want. And you know, if the devil says, speak this, I'll just speak this. And it could be very unhealthy and it could harm all of you. And so there needs to be a government that actually takes rulership over this life. It's actually called self-government. And you'll notice in the fruit of the spirit, when Jesus Christ takes over a life and gives us the Holy Spirit, he does something called self-control, egretea. And that, what that means in a simple sense is that self is now controlled. No longer is self able to do whatever self wants, but self is now being governed so that self can now control the body. And so government is actually a God-born idea. It's a God-sponsored thing, and it is very, very significant and important. In a family, you have to have a government. If you don't have government in family, you have chaos. And so as a result, God is going to establish leadership or headship over family, which is the parents, right? And that is going to create order and protection. And the same is true for all other forms of government. So government in and of itself is not wrong or evil. It's just, as, as you see, it can be misused, and that's the issue with the first. If I were to talk about first governments, they are very vulnerable to corruption. And so as we look at our government today, and many of us don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in our government today, and if I were to say, why? Is it because it's ungodly? Is government ungodly? No, it's not that government is ungodly. It's that we've got a whole bunch of ungodly people running it. And so that, there you just heard the great vulnerability to earthly government. So the second nation, the second kingdom. Let's go into this just a little. Uh, you have a first and a second. So you have Cain, Abel, right? God's going to choose the second, Abel's offering. Ishmael, Isaac. Ishmael is born out of uh, Abraham's self-effort to solve the, the riddle of how he's going to have kids. And God, doesn't, God rejects Ishmael and accepts Isaac. He accepts the second. Rebecca has twins in her womb. Esau is going to come out first. Jacob is second, who also is called Israel. So those two are going to be two nations separated from her womb is what God says. Two nations. Isn't that interesting? And so you're going to see in the history of Israel, it's going to be understood that Amalek, who is a descendant of Esau, the first, is going to, look at what it says in Numbers 24, 20. Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. So you see a first, the descendant of the first, even Esau, the two that are separated out of Rebekah's womb, Amalek, the Amalekites, as many of us would know them, is the first of all nations, and, but its end will be destruction. Well, the same is true with all firsts. The end of the firsts is destruction. Exodus 17, 16, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now, if you contrast that with the second, the second is very different. 
So what we see in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now we're seeing the revelation of the second nation, Israel, the eternal one. God is going to stand against and fight against Amalek from generation to generation. What is he going to do? He's going to sponsor and bless the second kingdom for generation to generation for all eternity. And so you see this, he is opposed to the first, yet he has, the second has his favor. And so this isn't just supposed to be about nations to us. That's a shadow. God is showing us that he is building something greater, and it's a second. And of course, in the New Testament, Paul's going to go into great detail to say you must be born again. We're all in the first kingdom, and we're under just wrath. We are deserving of eternal separation from God and hellfire. But there has been a way made at the cross for you to put off this first, to repent of it, and to enter into the second kingdom. So Jesus Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not earthly. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So what's interesting is this second kingdom isn't earthly, which makes it very difficult for us to understand, which makes us feel sort of weird and out of control. It's like, ah, I, I can understand earthly. I can understand earthly government, at least to a certain degree. I can understand earthly military force and strength. But this, this kingdom, this second kingdom, is not of this earth. The first cannot bear the weight. So we're going to go back to Deuteronomy, and I want us just to listen to Moses. We read yesterday, last week the first eight verses of Deuteronomy, and we were sort of gaining this fresh invite into the land of promise. Sion and Og have fallen, and you've spent enough time at this mountain. Now uh, turn and set forth in your journey and possess the land. So it was a rehearsal. It was a second invite. But now we're going to see that the next lines are very interesting because it's going to show the formation of the Hebrew government, or what we could call the Hebrew Republic. It's an incredible form of government. I spent a lot of time, because I used to teach constitutional law, studying this little passage that we're going to go through today. Because technically, as many of us in here are probably fans of the U.S. Constitution, it's like, hey, that's a good document. It actually stems from right here. You're going to see and understand the root system of it in Deuteronomy. The first cannot bear the weight. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 1.9, I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. So imagine that Moses is just the symbol of the first. It's the first government, the law. The law in and of itself cannot carry and, and bear up a nation. It, it actually does not have the capacity to do it. And God makes that clear all throughout the Bible. It is not a criticism of Moses. It is not saying the law is not good. It's just that it is unable to save. It is unable to bear up this weight alone. Moses also says, how can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? Boy, if you've been a leader at all, you know those feelings. 
You see, this is, this is a human struggle that we deal with of earthly government, and yet we esteem this heavenly, unseen government. How does this work? How do we blend these two together? So the second is able to bear the weight. This is too much for me, says the first. I cannot bear this up. Remember what it said of Adam? It is not good that he is alone. And so he's going to make a second. It is not good that uh, this first government is unable to bear it up. So God is going to bring about a second government, which is able to carry the government on his shoulders. That's a foreshadow for those of you that know Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The second can actually bear it up. So much about the second is actually going to take place on his shoulders, too. That's one of the reasons you see me trying to get the word shoulders into the title for this one, because he is able, he is ready, he has ready shoulders, and they are able shoulders to be able to carry something that the first cannot bear. Romans 8, 3 through 4, for what the law, let's make that over here, this first condition, Moses, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, who do not live according to a first condition but who actually live according to a second. You see, God is establishing a kingdom and he is doing that through the work of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is able to do something far beyond what Moses could pull off. Moses can merely give us a teacher that can say, you need a savior. That was his great gift to us. You have a problem, it's called sin. You need a savior from your sin. That's basically the summary of Moses. But Jesus is greater, his kingdom is greater, because he can actually hold it up. He is a savior from the sin. And as a result, even though Moses is, I mean, there's something really good taking place over here, guys, when he's saying, guys, you have a problem with sin. Here's the righteous requirements of God. This is who God is. You must be like God to live. And we can't do it. It brings condemnation. That's the only thing it can do. But it is a road sign which leads us to the one who can save, the second Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So consider Jesus, guys, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses is basically what we see in the book of Hebrews. Jesus, if you're impressed with Moses, who was faithful in his house, he did that which was right, but oh, come on, guys. Jesus is superior. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think I should esteem the guy who builds the house more than the lumber uh, in, in the house that he built. 
For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. It's actually an indirect way of saying Jesus is God, too. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. What's the difference? Moses was faithful to steward a house. Jesus is the son who owns the house. It's a higher operation. And so when we trust Jesus, we recognize that there's a weight that we cannot carry over here. But when we transfer to Jesus, he's able to carry it. John 19, 16 through 18. Then he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, this is an incredible statement in regards to shoulders. The government is on his shoulders. The weight of it all is falling on a man, if you can imagine this. On a man. I mean, Moses to the Jews is such a typification of a powerful man. And Moses cannot carry it. He just can't. It quashes him. Jesus is going to carry the weight of it all on his shoulders. Listen to this line. Bearing his cross. Bearing it. Went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He is going to bear this on his shoulders. Moses says, I can't bear this. Jesus bears it. The first is inferior. Now, I'm building a case here. I'm, I'm going, taking a long time to get to my point. The first is inferior. The second is greater. Now, remember how I started this? It's like I'm going to show you uh, how to vote in November, right? What I'm wanting us to do is recognize and distinguish between earthly government and heavenly government. And that the heavenly government is superior. There are earthly tactics that you can use to change the world. And there are heavenly tactics you can use to change the world. Many of us, though we may intellectually esteem the heavenly tactics and go, yes, those are greater. Functionally, we try and do it Moses style. We want to change the world with earthly tactics though we esteem the heavenly tactics. And I'm here to tell you that if we're going to change the world as the church, we must function in a second tactical position. God has given us something greater, but we must recognize it. Colossians 1.13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So I'm going to say this first condition is a domain. It is a region of darkness. It is weak in and through the flesh. It is weak in and through the fact that natural man needs a savior. And in and of himself, he is very easily swayed. He can be bribed. 
he can misuse his authority and his power. What you see in the American experiment is you see a form of government that is attempting to create checks and balances because they don't trust people. It's the exact form of government we have. It is based on people. People that are the government and these people are flawed, which means as many checks and balances as you can have, do not put all the authority into one little bucket. You need to separate it out so that not one person who goes rotten and bad can spoil the whole thing. DOD, it's not Department of Defense. This is, uh, what was my term? Uh, domain of darkness. So this is domain of darkness, and I made it lowercase because it is inferior, guys. It is a first condition, and it's weak through the flesh, and then we have the KOS, the kingdom of the sun, and that is strong through the spirit. The kingdom of the sun, though I know that I'm not sharing anything new for any of us, it's like, yeah, of course I know that the domain of darkness is weaker. Do you? Do you know that the DOD, small d, small o, and small d is weaker than the kingdom of the Son, all caps, which is strong through the Spirit? Do you believe that the, that the Spirit of God is actually stronger than the flesh? Do you believe that what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross is superior to all that the machinations and the devious plots and schemes and conspiracies that could take place in the domain of darkness? Because if you believe it, you function over here and you use the military might of the KOS, the kingdom of the sun. This is where you would go. This is the armory you would go to. This is the king you would fight for. This is where you're going to place your chief vote in November. If you're going to vote on either side where you could manipulate the domain of darkness using human techniques and tactics, or you could... Go higher to where the puppeteers are and deal with the, the powers in the spiritual realm and snip their puppet strings to see captives set free. Which would you go towards? Okay, I don't know if you guys are catching on to where I'm going with this. So the DOD, or the uh, domain of darkness, it's weak through the flesh. What do we know about it? The law can't save that's one thing that we learned from the Old Testament. Have we learned that in America yet? Because I guarantee you there are people in here that still struggle with the fact that if we could just get good laws, we could save this nation. And I would say you cannot save a nation through laws. Laws can have a role and they can be right. But that doesn't mean they change the deeper problem with men and women which is weak through the flesh. As long as you remain in the domain of darkness, you need physical restraint to maintain this. The kingdom of the sun is greater. So, one man can't carry. And that's one thing that's been proven. Whenever you go and you put the weight of a nation in one man's uh, satchel, it always goes south. The American experiment, I'm just gonna be blunt honest with you, is extraordinary. I've studied American history. I know a lot about the Constitution. I know a lot about the formation of our country. I am extremely impressed. However, it is in the domain of darkness that men are gathering together with the wisdom of the Scriptures to say, how do we curb the fetish of the flesh and the, 
the natural inclinations towards sin that men have and how do we somehow do this together, okay? I'm just going to say that there is something greater than that, but it cannot be found in the domain of darkness. So unless every single person has humbled themselves and repented and believed, you need a government in the domain of darkness. And so many must carry it. It kills, it crushes, it depletes, it uses and abuses. You work for the government. I, I remember a quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the presidency of the United States is uh, hell on earth. <laughs> Who wants that job? I mean, you look at Donald Trump today and you have to wonder what who would want that job? That is the worst job on earth. It is. It will crush you. To stand in the gap in the physical sense, I mean, this is really hard stuff. And what the earthly government is, is it does not replenish, it does not strengthen, it is weight, it is human labor, and it is hard. Kingdom of the sun, it's strong through the spirit. Well, in the first one, it says the law can't save. In this one, grace can save. But what is grace? Grace is not just a hug from God. It is God working on our behalf. We have salvation in the fact that God works for us. In the kingdom of the Son, God does the working. He does the heavy lifting. One man does carry. In other words, in the first one, one man can't carry it. And Moses even says that, I can't carry this alone. In the, new, in the kingdom of the Son, one man can carry the whole government on his shoulders. And we can trust him. He cannot lie. He will not cheat us. When he says what he's going to do, he will perform it. Oh, could you imagine that in government? Imagine it, guys. It's the truth. It's the kingdom of heaven. I don't blame you for getting excited saying, I want to vote for King Jesus. Yeah, you'd be on the right track if you started thinking that way. Many are brought in to serve. See, it's different. Instead of them bringing, being brought in to carry, they're being brought in to serve what the king is doing. And then it, what does this kingdom bring? Life. It strengthens, it beautifies, and it strikes with awe. So the Abel shoulders, I still stuck it in, guys. You know, I still found a way to get this in. Now, Abel is spelled wrong because it's the name of a character. Now, what's interesting, if you study the name of Abel, and remember, this is the second son. He's a symbol of the second. His offering is going to be received. He is a shepherd. He is going to be a symbol of the second government, too, which is a shepherd's government. And so as a result, you're going to see a different form where one shepherd is going to have his sheep and he is going to care for them as Jesus cares for his church. And so the second government is actually a picture of the church, guys. If, if I'm just going to get down to brass tacks, that's what it is. It is the second government. But the Abel shoulders, Abel, if you look at the, the word and you know you're Hebrew, you're going to guess at it, but you're going to get it wrong because it's actually not this. This isn't how it's spelled in Hebrew. But if you know Ab, that means father, and then El is God. So it'd be his, God is his father. And they're like, oh, I know what that means. That's actually not what this means, though, because it's like Hevel. You know, it's, it's a different name than what we have in the English. And what it means is breath. Let me just break it down for you. Spirit. <laughs> the first cannot please, but the Spirit's offering can isn't that extraordinary? That's how the Bible starts. It's just it's like we're just getting going, and it's already getting exciting. So Genesis 4 to Abel, the second was a keeper of flocks, but Cain, the first, was a tiller of the ground. It's like the two governments. Work, sweat. You have sin. As a result, you need to work the ground to maintain this. 
And Abel is going to offer the best of his flock, which is a symbol of Christ, of course. And the Spirit of God is going to offer the best of the flock, and you're going to see that it pleases God. The second pleases him. So the first government is earthly. The second government is heavenly. So 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 47, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. First government of this earth. Second man from heaven. Introducing representative government. Now, if you were to ask me, I know if you were to just stop right here, you might actually conclude that Eric is somehow against earthly government. And that all I, all I believe in is, is a spiritual and heavenly government that is unseen. And it's like, let everyone just sort of run free. Meanwhile, we'll go to church. And I actually don't come to that conclusion. But what I want us to understand is that as Christians, we are servants and citizens of a higher kingdom, which is meant to influence what is taking place in this earthly realm. So though the kingdom that we serve in is unseen, and it is spiritual, it is heavenly, we still have an engagement with this domain of darkness. Introducing representative government. So I'm just going to read through uh, verses 9 through 18. Last week we went uh, Deuteronomy 1, 1 through 8, and so this week we'll go through you know, nine verses here. I spoke to you at that time, says Moses, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you, just as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you in your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. You answered me and said, the thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and of officers for your tribes. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. This is brilliant, uh, by the way. Everything about this is, is brilliant for managing sinful men. It, it is. It's a remarkable pattern. And there's so, many, there's so much in this that is wise and right and good. And I don't want to diminish that or dismiss that. Our government is actually based on this exact model of representation. And just as the Israelites said, that is good. That's a good model. That's the same thing we should say. That's a good model. So the rightness of representative government, it's right. I would say it's the most correct version of government that exists on earth. And so what we have is a pattern of something that is meant to be a shadow of something else. But there is a weakness in the first. There's a weakness in this first form of government. I'm in a first body still. I have a second body, but my second body is still hanging in the closet up in heaven waiting for me, right? And I'm sort of excited to put it on. But right now I'm still dealt a first body. 
with a second man inside of it. And that's the same thing with this earth. In a sense, we have a first government form that needs, needs new men uh, to help it along in this season before every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have issues with this first government. We're, we're funny people. We're sort of like, we're in the second kingdom, but we're in earthly bodies, first bodies, in a world that needs first government wisdom, but still we are citizens of heaven. I mean, how does this work? So the first government, I'm just going to call it right. It's right. Everything about this first government that God is going to set up is right. Mary and Martha, do you remember that? Martha is right. She's bustling about in the kitchen. She's showing good hospitality. Can you say that that's wrong? That she's interested in taking care of Jesus when he comes over, making sure the meatloaf is cooked right and not burnt and the table is set? Do you understand why you could say that's right? However, what's Jesus going to say? Martha, Martha. But there's something that is even more right. Okay, so how about Judas when he's like, you shouldn't pour out the spike guard. You should sell it and give the money to the poor. That's right. That's right. Very wise, Judas. Thank you for bringing that up. However, there's something that's more right. Pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. And it looks ludicrous at a certain level, right? But there is something that is more right. What we're interested in is not just the right. We're interested in the more right as Christians. So the fact that this earthly form of government that God has laid out in Deuteronomy is right is not to diminish it or dismiss it. It's to recognize that it is a shadow of something greater and to not miss the shadow of what it's pointing to. You answered me and said, the thing that which you have said to do is good. Yep, it was. And the second government is more right. James Madison is going to give, you know, he's going to be pretty much the greatest expert on the Constitution that exists, right? And so I just want you to sort of understand even his thoughts as he's putting this thing together and he recognizes this is a first government. This is a system that is not a, this, that's of this world with people of this world. How do you build a government that way? Well, he's going to use the book of Deuteronomy to do it, to suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. Chimerical means like a mythical creature with all sorts of different pieces of different creatures attached to it, like the head of an eagle, the arms of you know, a man with the legs of you know, a bat. You know, that type of thing, that would be chimerical. So he's saying, that's ridiculous. It's like just sort of patching all these things together. Do you actually think, think that there's any government that could secure liberty and happiness if the people themselves are not good? What, what do you do if the people aren't good? Whew, we have some issues. Yeah. You see, as long as this people is self-governed, according to the word of God, our nation was founded in such a way where actually the more common way of thinking at the time of the Constitutional Convention was biblical thinking. It was a biblical worldview. And as long as the people that are then being put in office actually fear God, tremble before God, have a, have a level of self-government, this can work. The essence of government is power, and power, lodged as it must be in human hands, will ever be liable to abuse. See, that's a first government statement. God has all power, and guess what? He will never abuse it. See, there is a superior government here, and let's not forget it. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, you must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. Hmm. 
The first government, it's dependent upon the goodness of men. Well, how long can that last? How do you keep that together? Do you see the vulnerabilities in that? Because you're going to need a continuous revival amongst those people to actually keep this first government stable. And that's why it is so vulnerable. The second government is dependent upon the goodness of God. It's on his shoulders. It's not on the people's shoulders, even though the people do play a critical role. They are participants in it. The weight of the work, the grace, is actually given by him. The first government is an earthly government. The second government, we know it as the church. It is actually the foothold in this world of God's government. God's government is taking hold on this earth. He is bringing a second government to bear, but it's to the degree that the church allows him to carry that weight and we participate with him. The first government is dependent upon the labors of men. If men fail, the nation falls. The second government is dependent upon the labor of God. If God fails, the church has no hope. But God will never fail. The church is going to last no matter what. That's a funny statement. It's dependent upon God. That's a great refuge to find uh, your, as, as your place of living. You want to be in God's government. That does not mean we do not have responsibility. It just means that the weight, the weight of righteousness, the weight of holiness, the weight of doing is actually upon his shoulders. You don't have it, but he supplies it for you as you depend and believe in him. The first government is known as the law, or Moses well, is even a term for it. The second government, you could call it Jesus, but it's a government of love, and it's actually superior. The whole Old Testament is going to be fulfilled with love. You want to say all the law? Love. Love and you don't murder. <laughs> love and you don't steal. It's a higher law. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and then 13, 1. So this is the very end of the chapter 12 and the very first word of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. I, I show you a still more excellent way. That word for excellence is huperbole, which is where we get our word hyperbole. And the, the picture would be one of a javelin throw. And so some guy comes up, and imagine all of us compete in the javelin, and we have a javelin, we throw it. And James uh, Schrock wins because his javelin made it to the tile out there. And the rest of us are like, oh, whoa. And we're like patting him on the back. He's feeling really good. And then Paul the Apostle comes in and goes, hey, guys, I want to show you a more excellent way. And he throws it 10,000 miles. And we're looking at James and we're going, boy, your way stinks. That is exactly what this word means. It is so above and beyond. Love so massively overshadows the first systems. The first systems are good. They're right. They have a purpose, but they're a shadow of something greater and grander that we are supposed to yield to and allow to control our lives. I show you still a more excellent way. Love. The first righteous government is representative. Now this is going to be a nice little curveball for all of our, our minds to chew on. The second righteous government, participatory. In other words, God is not electing me to, to take over the kingdom of heaven. 
I am not the one that ever becomes the head. The head of the church, capital H, is Jesus, and he always will maintain that position. And you can call it a dictatorship if you want. I still remember in Chariots of Fire, what is this, a dictatorship? And he goes, yeah, I, I, but a benign dictator. You know, it's like, yeah, he's good. He's intended towards our benefit. And he cannot lie. He cannot cheat us. He, there's no scandal in the kingdom of heaven. He is pure and righteous and holy. And so as a result, he carries it all on his shoulders. I may be an under-shepherd, a lowercase s. I fulfill something, but he is capital S, shepherd. He is the one that will always carry the weight. So I participate. And you guys remember my story uh, I think I shared it this last week with Hudson when I had the snow drift on my driveway and Daddy comes out with his big red shovel and then Hudson has his little miniature shovel. And I delight to have Hudson come out and shovel with me and he gets to participate in the fellowship with Daddy. Oh, he goes in a couple times, you know, and you know, zooms around the house and then gets his clothes back on, comes back out. And so we do know who's doing all the work, right? Daddy is breaking his back and Hudson's, you know, out there throwing some snow up in the air and it lands, you know, right where I just shoveled. This is when he was like four or five. And so then we get done, and I'm like, go tell Mama that we're done, because he gets to have hot chocolate uh, when we're done. So he runs in, Mama, 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 Daddy and I shoveled the driveway together. Now that is ridiculous, right? I mean, come on, I should come in and go, hey, that is a lie. I shoveled the driveway. You didn't do anything but make a mess. And yet it is Daddy's delight to share that work with Hudson. It is a participatory government. I am not God doesn't put the weight of the government on my shoulders. He carries it, but then invites me to participate with his power and his grace. He doesn't just say, go love. He gives me love. It's not for me to whip up kindness. He gives me his kindness. I am a flow-through channel. I'm called the body of Christ. So as a result, he dwells within me and does the work. This is how the kingdom of heaven, it's a higher form of government instead of, hey, Eric, go out and love. Be pure, do it right, show kindness. And I'm like, okay, and I'm digging in my own pockets to do it. The first government is still correct. All of what I just said is right for this body to do, but my body can't do it. So there's a frailty that is going to be exposed in first government. Why? So that you would forsake the first and enter into the second. It is superior. The first kingdom is the domain of darkness. The second kingdom is the kingdom of the dear son. If you remain here without repentance, you experience the judgment that is upon the first. But if you will humble yourself and recognize that you have need of someone to bear the burden of your sin, someone to carry the weight of the government, then you will transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of of the dear son. A constitutional republic, which by the way, I'm a big fan of. If I have a choice, I would protect our constitution as it stands and our system of government. I think it is brilliant and I think it is beautiful and powerful. I do not believe that when we're in heaven, we will be a part of a constitutional republic because we will be in a higher form of government, one that is ruled by Jesus Christ. 
However, in this earthly realm, there's all sorts of things that I would say, in heaven this will not be, but down here this is the best we have. And that's the same way I'm going to say it about this. A constitutional republic is dependent upon men being good men. And if those men stop being good men, we have problems in this country. And that has been said by many, many presidents throughout the, the ages and generations. It's like we are one generation away from having a tyrannical form of government and throwing away all our liberty. One generation. If we go south, if we turn away from our God, if we forsake that which has sponsored the development of this country to start with, we're sunk, guys, and it will happen fast. Huh, boy, does that sound familiar right now. A Christ-governed church is actually a higher form of government. If you're to study governments, to understand Christ's church is actually more profound. It's dependent upon God being a good God. Where does your faith rest? In men being good men? I do not want to go in that direction and put a lot of confidence there. But if you ask me, do I believe that our God can be a good God and that he can be head of the church and he could be Lord of lords and king of kings and he could carry the weight? I have full confidence. You see, I'm voting. If I have to vote, I'm going to vote Jesus. I believe Jesus can carry the weight right now. I believe he can lead us through the storm. I believe he can give us wisdom for this hour. I believe he can protect us as the saints. I believe that he can change the hearts of people. You give me any man over here and say, but Eric, who would you want in the presidency? Just imagine if you had four years and you could pick any man. Uh, Did you hear what I just said? My confidence rests in Jesus Christ. That does not mean that I wouldn't cast a vote over in this direction (laughs) and pick the best possible option. It just means my faith and my confidence must rest. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it must rest squarely in the fact that Jesus is a superior change agent to culture. Are you still under representative government? Now, I have an illustration. This is just an illustration. Vote for Trump. He will do it for you. Now, I, believe me, I, I know what's going on in this world right now. I know the lies that are unabated, and no one seems to be standing up against them. I know the injustice. I see the encroachment of lawlessness and delusion upon our culture. And there are certain people that are inclined to push back. I would much rather have someone that is inclined to push back against that in a position of leadership than someone who's sponsoring it. So if you give me a choice on the human side, yeah. There's different humans that I'm going to say, yeah, I would much rather have you in a representative form of government. However, do I have faith and confidence that a human can actually cause this world to awaken to the truth of Jesus Christ? Do I believe that a human, that it rests upon a human, that a human can bear this upon their shoulders? There is one that is greater that is ready to carry the government, that is ready to change the world in which we live. I want to side with him right now in faith. So, or have you made the transfer to participatory government? Vote for Jesus. That was one of my names for this message, by the way. He does it for me. He does it in me. He does it through me. 
it's superior, guys. Even to getting a Republican in the presidency. It is superior. Which means, if you follow me on this, let's imagine that the worst happens in November and persecution awakens within the body of Christ or towards the body of Christ. Should we shudder? Because the government in which we serve and the one in whom we find our confidence, if he is restless, if he is grimacing, if he is fretting, chewing his fingernails, I say we fret and chew fingernails. But if the one enthroned in heaven is laughing and holding them in derision, I say we laugh and hold in derision. We will not be moved by the circumstances of this earth when our God sits enthroned on high, unmoved. Our comfort in this life needs to reside in His position instead of our earthly position. You may not have a home, you may lose everything, your bank accounts may be frozen. Has anything changed in heaven? The God we serve will not be bullied around. No one can move Him off that throne. They can try and impeach him and it will not do a thing. He reigns forever and ever and ever. I want to adhere myself to that afresh. And if you're going to vote, and I would encourage us to vote long before November, but as a church, I think we need to remember the weapons that we have. We serve a greater president than President Trump. A greater, we have a, a greater general, supreme commander than General Milley. We actually have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who has never lost a battle and has no intention of losing one going into the future. The weapons of our warfare are so much stronger than earthly weapons. You have a vote in the natural realm and I would encourage you to use it. I would never encourage you to just not go out and get a warm winter coat because winter's coming and Jesus is your strong tower and your refuge and he'll warm you up. In other words, I would say, no, you should get a coat. You should do things in this natural realm, but your chief priority always remains and resides in the authority, the power, and the position of Jesus Christ. And what has he said? You have weapons of warfare. They're not earthly, they're not carnal, they're not of the first variety, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So if you're going to utilize weapons right now, I have one for you that's better than a vote. You stand in obedience to Jesus Christ and you begin to wield the weapons of warfare. And there's multiple ones. Obedience is one. When the Spirit of God asks you to do something, you do. When He asks you to speak, you speak. When He asks you to be silent, you're silent. Rejoicing. That no matter what happens in this earth, we go up. We don't get angry. And we don't get upset and frustrated and mad at this earthly realm that is against God anyways. That's what God even tells us. This is the very people we need to be reaching for Jesus. Rejoice. For God is going to turn all that the enemy means for evil into good. So you might as well thank him for it now. Third, prayer. 
we have a power that we can wield right now that will shape the earthly realm and impact the heavenly realms. The question is, do we believe that God's weapons are superior, that his rulership is higher? Do we believe that the domain of darkness actually is superior? Are we putting capital D-O-D there? Or are we willing to put capital K-O-S and make those really small in our understanding? The enemy has no ability to parry the sword of God when it swings. And you just happen, his hands are on it, and he's like, hey, grab with me, grab with me. You ready to swing? We're like, yeah, I'm ready to swing. And when the sword of the Spirit swings, the enemy cannot stop it. It's like he has soft butter that he's defending with, and it just goes right through it. He has no ability to defend against the saints of God functioning in faith. The enemy trembles before the awakening church. We are a threat right now. Let's keep it that way. In fact, I would like to expand it. I would like to grow up to be the greatest threat the enemy has ever beheld in any generation. We are so far from that right now that it's laughable, but I see no reason why we cannot be restored unto a full functioning body of Christ. Vote for Jesus. He does it for me. He does it in me. He does it through me. Father, show us how to live in your kingdom, how to function in accordance with the Spirit, and to deal also with this natural realm. Lord, we still have to deal with firsts, though we have been transferred. And Lord, I pray that we would put that priority where priority is due, and that we would trust you the way you deserve to be trusted. You are able, Lord, to carry this government on your shoulders. You are able to carry our burdens. Lord, you are our supply. You are preeminent in all things. You will do it. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would. Lord, we ask very specifically that you would steer this nation towards yourself. Lord, that you would expose the lies and expose the injustices and that you would bring justice to bear in this land. Lord Jesus, but no matter what, we want you to know that we trust our king and that if it means in and through prison cells, in and through difficulties, dangers, uh, and even the destruction of our own bodies, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would build your kingdom and that you would establish your fame and your renown in this world. Here we are, Lord. Use us. May we participate in your great kingdom work. We love you and we trust you. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.